In this episode of the Explore Information Security Podcast, how to implement GDPR. Welcome to the Explore Information Security Podcast, where you'll learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring how to implement GDPR. Joining me today to help answer this question is Stuart Scott, AWS Content Lead at Cloud Academy, and George Gerchow, uh, the Chief Security Officer at Sumo Logic. So both guys have a lot of content on Cloud Academy. You can check that out, show notes at uh, timothydblock.com forward slash EIS. It's gonna be 146 and 147. This is a two-parter. This is part one. Um, where we get into some really great stuff. Uh, why am I getting all these privacy update emails is actually my first question to them. Uh, and then we kind of just dive into GDPR there and, and kind of some of the steps of how to actually implement it. So feedback, timothy.dblock at gmail.com. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at timothydblock. And then of course, be sure to check out cloudacademy.com and all of their content uh, for GDPR. Let's get it on. Um, so I guess starting off, uh, my first question was why, why was I getting bombarded with privacy policy updates leading up to GDPR? <laughs> well, that, I mean, I, I'm happy to kind of jump in here, George, feel free to kind of talk over myself. Um, as you know, with the, the deadline approaching or has approached on the 25th of May leading up to that, um, Many companies were kind of trying to ensure that they were compliant and as a, as a part of that with a new regulation, there's new requirements and a part of those new requirements, uh, some companies needed consent by you that you're happy for them to, to collect and use your data under the new regulation. So there was getting a lot of emails about this from many companies that we signed up to online before for newsletters, etc. I was getting numerous emails from companies that I'd forgot I'd even signed up for a, lo a long time ago. And I was thinking, how, how have they still got my data? So they were just getting, trying to get consent from you to say, hey, look, are you happy for us to still store your data and use your data under the new GDPR? Um, a lot of the emails as well were updates about their privacy policies, like you say. So they just informed me that they've been updated and to say that now they're now in line with the new regulations. And you may have seen a couple that are even talking about that you have additional rights um, yourself, such as right to erasure or right to be forgotten. Um, but, but the good thing about all these emails is that, like I say, I, I got a number of emails from people that I totally forgot about. So I just ignored those. <laughs> and by, by, by not consenting or replying, it means I should be removed from the database. So it's kind of a clear up for me as well, which, which was great. <laughs> Yeah, and from my perspective, it was I saw it as panic. You know, like like GDPR cracked me up in the way that it was almost like Y two K all over again, except for the grocery stores didn't get emptied. Um, it, it's, all, it's all these people who didn't prepare years ago. You know, they they didn't have a DPA in place or a data protection agreement, so they all panicked at the last minute and tried to get something out there, uh, as Stuart mentioned, to describe to people how their data was being handled or even let them know that their data was still there. And, and I found it to be ridiculous, actually. We prepared for this. Like my DPO and I were laughing at the beginning of this year because we're like, you know, all those people didn't care about the GDPR stuff that we were doing last year. 
they're going to start panicking in, in January of 2018. And then as May 25th approaches, they're going to panic even more, which is absurd because it's just the date. GDPR has been around for a while. Uh, it's just got enacted or enforced on May 25th. So nothing really changes from May 25th to May 26th or 27th. Like do what you got to do, you know, but do it right. Mm-hmm. Don't just send people out DPAs on the 24th going, hey, if you don't sign this, you're now legally bound to this document. It, I, I found it to be ridiculous and kind of comical. So, I mean, why did it take so long for people to like, I guess, take it seriously? I don't think they paid attention. You know, like I, I just think that, uh, you know, people are so busy and going at such a rapid rate at the enterprises that in 2016 and 2017, they're like, oh, we'll get to that. And then as they started getting educated, and especially as vendors started saying that they could automatically solve world hunger with their GDPR solutions, <laughs> they, uh, it, it set panic in. And so people were like, oh my gosh, this could be, you know, $20 million or, you know, 4% of my total revenue, which is nasty. I mean, that's not even profit. That's total revenue. Um, if we were ever to get audited and found, you know, um, found to be in breach. And so I, I think that that's what caused lack of education usually causes panic like that. Uh, I, I think you're right there, George, a totally lack of education. And when they did eventually get the time to start looking into it and what's involved, I think the, the scale of what was required and what needed to be enforced kind of far outweighed their expectations when, when it was just kind of on the back burner of something to look into and something to get ready. Um, I think it kind of it appeared a lot bigger than it, they actually thought it was, um, which I think led to a lot of the panic. So, so, it, so GDPR stands for General Data Pro- Protection Regulation. What exactly does that mean? So I, I, can, I can give it a shot first, Stuart. You know, so, <laughs> so what it is, you know, it, it's, a, it's a plethora of different articles um, that view how data should be handled or how an organization should try to maintain not only an enterprise's privacy, but individual's uh, privacy. And, and I mean, at first it was kind of ambiguous as some of the articles were being released, but in my mind, it's a good thing. You know, um, we're in a society now where, where your privacy and, and privacy in general should, should be paid attention to because it's so easy for someone to get a hold of your information, market to you, or, you know, understand different ways to contact you, where you're at. I mean, just look at everything that's happening with social media. And so I see it as a really, really good thing. Um, and, and it's been around, like I said, like I mentioned before, it's been around for a while. Like this is, you know, it's, it's got quite a rich timeline, which we can talk about later, but um, it, it's, a, it's a good thing in my mind for people to, to, to know how their data is being handled and then for organizations to responsibly handle that data. Well, this is this is something, at least in my view, is something that uh, a lot of European companies are already doing, and that is just the U.S. market that I guess didn't think it applied to them. They still Other don't. Than logic. <laughs> 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 Funny you say that because they still don't, right? Like, I, I, all the time I'll, I'll talk to someone and they'll be like, "Well, GDPR doesn't apply to me." I'm like, "Really? Do you well, you know, do you have any business in Europe?" You know, and they're like, "Well, yeah." And it's like, "Okay, well, it applies to you." It, it, it's just the I think it's the, the amount of data, so how many records you intake, you know, and then also uh, the global scope as to how much you should actually invest in it. You know, for someone who's not like us, I mean, we're 100% hosted in AWS, you know, spread across multiple zones in AWS. And so everything that has to do with data and everything that has to do with security and compliance is very important to us and our customers. We can't afford to, to backslide there. But 
I think at the same time, if you're a smaller organization, you don't have a lot of records coming in, then you give it best level of effort, are transparent about where you're at, and you put together a pretty solid roadmap as to how you're going to attack it. You don't go out and spend, you know, a good $20, $25 million in a solution. You can spend that on a solution for GDPR? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Probably> not, <laughs> <I do. laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's not even really about a solution or a product because the tech side of GDPR is is minimal. You know, it, it could be like maybe 10 to, to 20%, depending on who you are. It's mostly revising your policy. So Stuart did a great job of talking about privacy policies up front. That's usually the first place. But then like for us, the number one thing that we did was like, we need a DPO. Like, and we need someone who's serious about privacy, understands it, has a background in it and a background in compliance. And that's a major investment for an organization. And sometimes depending on how big you are, you may have multiple DPOs or data protection officers. If you have more than like eight to 10 people in Germany, you need to have one local there. You need to have a representative in EMEA in general, and then to have one that's super sharp that can really drive and own that programmer on privacy is critical for organizations, as Stuart mentioned, that are handling a lot of data. And it's, it's the training around it as well, the internal training um, yep. and, and the drive, um, which kind of has to come from uh, a senior level. It needs to come from the top down, <coughs> excuse me, to enforce the, the importance of GDPR and how it affects the business. And everyone needs to be on board with that so that in the internal training could be a significant cost as well. Like you say, as well as hiring your, your DPOs or, or multiple DPO. Yeah, it, very true statement. You know, I couldn't have said it better, Stuart, because it's got to align with what the business objectives are and what the risk is around the business as well, too. And then once you get the DPO in place, you also want to make sure that they're very current. You know, so when we brought ours on, on you know, in place, her name is Jen Brown, by the way. Uh, we sent her immediately to 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 Mia to go to IAPP training, CIPM training, and all kinds of privacy training with attorneys out there. Uh, before bringing her back to make sure that she's current. And that's going to be a reoccurring thing for us. So it's not like GDPR ends again on May 25th. It's rinse, lather, and repeat over time. So there are certifications involved with, with GDPR? They're more around privacy. Um, you know, and, and that's a point that I want to make sure that we talk about as well and get Stuart's thoughts is, this is just the beginning, you know? So like in Germany, there's like BDSG and then in Japan's just released their own privacy regulations. So I think organizations want to be very successful at GDPR. You start with a very mature privacy program that can then agilely uh, look at the new privacy regulations coming from every single other country on the planet or region <laughs> and, and adjust to those over time. So Stuart, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on that too. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, especially when you're talking about someone like AWS, who is, is a global company. So they have to be compliant with so many legislations world over. Um, and kind of maintaining that and ongoing is, is, is just critical. So if, if you're an organization that's uh, global as well, um, you have all these different regulations across all these different countries. And GDPR is great to kind of have as a, as a backbone. Um, but to build on that and to keep developing and maturing your privacy um, processes and procedures, like George has said, is key and critical. And what this does uh, as well, a part of the GDPR, is it allows you to take a look at the data you're collecting. It gives, you, it gives the company a chance to reevaluate the data they are taking off individuals and all the privacy information. Do, do they need it? Do they still need that level of information from those individuals. Was it in place 10 years ago and you're still kind of collecting that data but don't really know why? 
as a as a data controller, you need to make sure you know why you're collecting that data, where it's going to be used. So I think it's a really good thing, um, which is something else George touched on earlier, saying this is a really good thing to, to kind of have in place because it's making people assess the data that they're tracking, that they're logging, um, that they're capturing. And hopefully in as a part of that um, effort, they can reduce the data that they're collecting on people because much of it might no longer be needed. And the less data you have, the easier it is to secure and maintain especially when it comes to different kind of privacy rules and legislation across different countries. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I've, I've seen a couple, yeah, I've seen some use cases where it's like, well, we're going to do this. We're going to grab this data and we're going to do this magical thing with it. And it's like, well, what, what's your actual use case here? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I think a lot of it's just people just, you know, sucking up, hoovering up as much as they can because maybe they'll use it in the future. So I, I, I agree. I, I like this, this thing. I think it's going to, cause a, I don't know, I guess cause a lot of heartache for people, but um, it'll be something that we get through, hopefully. I, I think in the long run, it kind of benefits the organizations as well, not just mm-hmm. additional benefits to the individuals whose data is being collected, the way it gives them more rights, but from an organization perspective, especially data management, it just capture the data that's, that's needed. Um, because otherwise, you, if you're collecting all this other data that you don't really know what you're going to do with, you, you're paying for that data of storage and paying for the security around that data. And all that is costly o- over time, especially if you're talking about, you know, <laughs> huge amounts of terabytes of data, you know, monthly. It's, um, it's, it's not necessary. So it's a really good time to assess your data from your customers and, and just really collect what you need. Yeah, we call it spring cleaning, Stuart, is what we call it. You, know, <laughs> yeah. you, you go back and you just look at the ridiculous amounts of data that you may be collecting about people. And then also, you mentioned the securing of that data, but there's another side of the security piece, which is if someone could string together portions of that data about enterprises and individuals in a clean way, they can now use that data to, to create breaches or to take over people's identities. There's just so oh. much that could be done with it. And so your point is great, both of your points, which is, do we really need all this data? Um, it, it's kind of like TPS reports from this movie Office Space. People just <laughs> do it because they've been doing it forever. You know, right. But it's, it's spring cleaning in our mind, which is, what do we really need? And then show people what they need. You know, like we collect logs. There's so much critical data in logs. And so there can or can't be. So let's show people what's coming in and then give them a way to not process that in. And so it was spring cleaning for us, a very useful exercise. That's good. So, so we've, uh, and I'm kind of walking through your steps here on one of your, one of your blog posts, the, the one from March, GDPR compliance, low cost, zero friction action items, um, which can be found at Cloud Academy. I'll put that in the show notes. But um, after that, you have build a privacy by, by design program. Like, what is that? Yeah, so so great question. You know, so again, the way we looked at it was let's not just focus on GDPR. Let's uplift it, but let's get everyone in the organization to buy in. You know, which is the same thing we do with security. And so by doing extensive training, as Stuart mentioned, and that's why the DPO was so key. We train everyone internally through her, you know, through kind of her vision, you know. So, for example, she started off with HR and was like, okay, whenever we process a new employee coming in, because we're hiring tremendously in Europe, 
how do you process that data? How's that data handled? How's that data deleted? Like, let's say if we don't handle, if we don't hire somebody, where's that data stored? And just, it, it's so funny to, to, to watch, you know, a layman um, outside of IT or security talk about that because then they become very aware and they start thinking, oh my gosh, how do people do that with me? So I need to pay attention to this. And so that's kind of what privacy by design means, which is let's make it an organizational uh, effort and then something that we also drive, which Stuart mentioned this, from the board down. So, so literally on, on a weekly basis, when I put together, you know, we're all about transparency. So when I put together, you know, reports that are at an executive level with my peers, but then also go to the board, we show everything that we're not doing well at, you know, so areas of risk. And the, the more buy-in that you can get from the top down across the organization uh, when it comes to privacy and how people's data is being handled, not only within the enterprise, but on their own, on a personal level too, it just raises awareness and it makes everyone sort of march in line when it comes to anything that's going to come in the future with data. And so that was the idea behind Privacy by Design. George, just a, just a quick question on that, uh, just something you touched on. Um, when you was talking to a um, non-technical guy, say, you mentioned HR there, and, and you was talking about uh, when data moves from one place to another, what happens to it. How did you kind of um, get that across? Was it, did you kind of talk about where the data was stored and different locations and kind of what controls that goes through to, 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 to really get them to kind of grasp and under, understand the kind of technical aspects of it and the legalities? Yeah, great question, Stuart. So there were two main things that we did. The first one was just a conversation like this, you know, so tell us what happens whenever you receive data coming in and then asking more questions around it because then that keeps the technical aspect out because we don't want to overwhelm people with technology and ultimately they don't care about back-end technology. You know, they, they care about more of what that process looks like and then maybe making that process more efficient for them, which is another thing that we found, which was really interesting, was we made a lot of the data handling processes way more efficient by cutting out certain steps or certain pieces of data. And we haven't even talked about DSAR yet. But the second piece is around Article 30, which is demonstrating uh, how the flow of data is. And here's where some tech comes in, but we we showed it to them, didn't really talk about it, which, you know, we had to go out and get uh, a product which would show, um, you know, how data goes from one bucket to another to another because a lot of times it's cross-functional, you know. So HR data doesn't really stay within HR, right? It gets stored mm -hmm. somewhere and sometimes it touches other parts of the organization. Let's say they're interviewing for product management or development. So it's cross-functional. So being able to show that we think was also extremely valuable so they could see it. And then obviously when we do things like a data um, protection impact and assessment, we'll be able to show that to an external audit company as well too. So that was one piece of tech that we brought into it. But it was two things. One, the conversation, and then two, some, uh, a tech that visualizes how that data is being handled by department, by line of business. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And, and is this training, is it, is it like one-on-ones for the most part or is it like lunch and learns or do you have set up time for, you know, get a big group together? Is it video training? Yeah, for us, we, we, we did it, you know, in person and we would get the entire group together twice. Uh, the first time would be more to start with sort of the, the conversations of how data is being handled just within the department. Uh, and then because you, know, you see the deer in headlights looks a lot of times like, wow, I just really don't know that. Mm -hmm. And then so you kind of document what the follow-ups would be. And then you meet with them again and they're much more prepared because they saw the first time the exercise went around. <laughs> and, and the funny thing about it is it ends up probably only taking 
you know, between two to four hours to get all this done uh, by line of business, which may seem like a lot to a lot of people, but it's not. It's a minor investment. And then the awareness is there too. So I think that that's the biggest piece is to do it in person, have those conversations. Obviously with remote sites, it's a little bit more difficult, but then, you know, you use something that you can bring video into it too, to have that personal touch. And then you have constant like podcasts, webcasts, anything that you can do within the organization to raise awareness as well. Okay. And then after that, what, what's the next step after that? It's pain, you know, so, so <laughs> let's talk about the painful side of it. Because that's the next step and the last step. <laughs> it is, it is. So, so here, here are the painful things that, that people can expect if they're not already there. Um, you know, you guys were mentioning up front and I was over here laughing about the privacy statements coming in. Well, I saw something a little different, which is the amount of EU model clauses and DPAs coming in. So those data protection agreements, all of a sudden people... You know, it, it's still happening now, in fact. You know, they, they panic and they're like, oh, I got to have a data protection agreement. Let me throw this out to the world and everyone needs to sign this. And, you know, it, it, and some people didn't take the time to really understand the value of what it is. So, so imagine someone like us, you know, we're, you know, again, writing on AWS. We have over 2,000 customers. How, am I, how is my legal team and my DPL going to manage 2,000 different DPAs? And so the idea is, is you know, you're either a processor or a controller on how you're handling data. So we figured out a way to automate our DPA. So we put together a really nice DPA. Again, it's not perfect. Um, you know, we're always going to improve on it, but it's, it's really good. And then we figure out a way to automate releasing it to prospects and customers to where it made it very easy for them to sign it. We could come to mutual agreements on how data is being handled so we could stop that influx of DPAs coming in towards us. Uh, and then we track it, you know, like, like who is it, who wants it, at what time did they want it? And, and so it's become extremely valuable to us. And then we also built some other things around it just based of, all, of that idea to be able to automate more and more functionality that could cripple an organization because ultimately GDPR has been sort of a paper DDoS attack. You know, because so much stuff is coming in. It's crippling, you know, organizations. I mean, you guys mentioned it. You were getting emails about privacy notifications from companies you didn't even know you, you, you worked with. Yeah, from a long and, time ago. Yeah, so, so we avoided a lot of that by automating outbound documents going to prospects and customers. And, and DPAs, is, is, that's data processing addendum? Yeah, so, so people call it a couple of different things, you know, data protection agreement, data processing addendum, but, but the idea is the same, which is, you know, Mr. Customer, Mr. Individual, whoever you may be, this is how we handle your data, this is the security we put around that data, encryption, so on and so forth, this is how we do data deletion, which, you know, we'll, we can talk about subject data rights here in a minute, which is another tremendous pain point, but that it, it, it's a well-written, clean document that someone could look at and say, okay, this company is making an investment. This is exactly how they handle my data, either from a processor or controller standpoint. Now, here's the interesting thing about one. If you don't do it right, because there's also this idea of sub-processors, you know, so I'm a processor or my company's a processor to over 2,000 customers, but Stuart's mentioned AWS multiple times. They're a sub-processor because we ride on top of AWS. We're 100% hosted on them. So we also have to call out who our sub-processors are. And then a customer can actually, um, they can, if, if you accept their DPA, they can control or block what sub-processors you use if you ever go to switch from one to another. And they want visibility into who all those sub-processors are. So 
writing a clean DPA with the help of a privacy attorney and a DPO is critical to keep yourself out of trouble, but then also be transparent about the handling of data. <laughs> so there's a, quite, a lot of legalities involved in those documents. And I, and I guess as well, the sooner you can get those out uh, to your customers, will will just stop a, a huge influx of people coming to you to say, how do you do this? That's correct. And that's going to do it for part one, guys. Part two will be next week. Thanks for listening.